<laughs> awesome. Um, all right. I think that's it. So, so we have a little video to kick off. This is going to be the most Christmassy, spirit of the holidays, Christ-centered, blow your, blow your minds uh, video to get us ready for Christmas. Here we go. Okay, probably one of the weirdest uh, intro like Christmas videos, right? All right. Okay, here's, here's the point. It, it, it makes you think twice about ever crossing a bridge again, right? Anybody have anxiety level rising as you're seeing that, thinking about all the bridges in your life that you've driven over just without even thinking twice? I mean, how many of you drove over a bridge on your way to church today? A couple, probably, probably, yeah, everybody from... East of the Jordan did, for sure, you know. So, uh, but yeah, you didn't really think about it, right? But now you look at, oh my gosh, these, these bridges are just collapsing. Some of them look like they were just fine, right? And people were, the ones that really got me were, were the last two. It, it was a guy that literally was split, and somehow he had enough presence of mind to jump back as that section collapsed. Um, and then, and then the, uh, the rope, the, the swing bridge as they were, were walking. Um, yeah, that, that, those, those really got me, right? Um, here's the point. There is a point, even though Nicole probably would say, yeah, I don't know what Jason's talking about half the time too, but he, there is a point to this video. When those bridges were complete, when they were whole, when they were intact, they were strong. They were safe. They were dependable. You could walk across without even thinking about it, right? They were powerful. But when they're not and the bricks are loose, the cables aren't tight, the bracing isn't in place, there might be some cracks, even if they're hidden cracks, they're dangerous and can even be deadly. Now, sometimes life can be like those bridges, right? We go along, we don't even really think about it until all of a sudden something happens and the bottom falls out. Life can be hard. Storms happen. Torrents come, right? But in the middle of all these things of bridges, bridges collapsing in our lives, Jesus wants us and calls us and even empowers us to experience peace. So last week we looked at how Jesus' glory gives us hope. 
And that hope was like a cord. The, the word hope literally means a cord that binds us together, it holds us together. And so this morning we're going to look at how that same glory of Jesus also enables us to live within peace. So if you have studied the, the Christmas story in, in Luke, the first couple chapters of Luke, you, you know that, that, G, that an angel of God comes to Mary and Joseph and says, hey, the promised Messiah, the promised um, uh, Savior is going to be born, right? And, and to you, God with us, and you're going to give birth to him. But we also know that this angel comes and appears to Mary's either cousin or, or, or aunt, sorry, I'm from Nebraska, aunt, um, uh, there to Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, right? They were older people. They hadn't had kids, and they were not able to have kids. But this, this angel comes to um, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and says, hey, you're going to actually give birth to this prophetic predecessor to the Savior, to the Messiah. And then the angel kind of gave them instructions on what to do. Well, again, they were old. They didn't have kids. What did Zechariah do? He laughed. He laughed at the angel of the Lord. And what happened? Couldn't talk. He couldn't talk the entire pregnancy. Now, now that, that's, there's, some, there's some kind of some funny attributes to the husband not being able to speak the entire, honey, can you please do this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like, yeah. So he couldn't talk the entire time. But finally, when they had the baby, John the Baptist, he composes this beautiful song. It's, it's a beautiful song, and it's in Luke chapter 1. Um, starting in verse 67. And it goes like this. Imagine not being able to speak for eight or nine months, and then these are the first words that come out of your, my, my, out of your mouth. Verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave him this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David just as he promised through the holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors but by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have, we have been rescued from our enemies, and we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, we will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will, you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the uh, to the. Uh, sorry, and to guide us to the path of peace. So just like uh, last week, we looked at how the glory of Jesus would bring and reveal something miraculous, hope, it, it, the same thing, is this glory, this light would shine and would lead us on the path of peace. Now what's really cool is that this last section of Zechariah's song, his prophecy, um, actually comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And so if we look in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, and then we'll skip to 4 and 7, it says this, "...the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And then verse 7, uh, sorry, verse, uh, verse 4. You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders, and you will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. These are people that understood war. Um, we've been going through First Kings at the men's group, and, and it can get pretty bloody, pretty violent, right? And, and there was not a lot of peace. And because they're surrounded by evil nations, but yet there was evil within the nation. And, and so some of the kings, some of the leaders led them down paths of conflict, of war, of hate. And so like clothes stained by battle, the weapons of battle was a daily fixture in their life. But yet here, the prophet Isaiah says, all these things are going to be fuel for the fire of peace. It's, it's, it's fascinating to look at that. Well, how? Verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the, from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. I love how Zechariah points to something that has been a part of their nation, of their faith, of their hope for generations and generations and generations. In both Zechariah's song and Isaiah's, there's this play going on. There's this tension. There's this, these two opposing forces going at play with each other. First of all, we have peace. Peace in Hebrew, in Isaiah, is the word shalom. And in the New Testament that, um, that Luke would be using was Irene. Now, it's funny because I grew up with an Irene in our, in our church, and so I had to like really rehearse to not say Irene because that's the Americanization of Irene. But Irene and Shalom both mean the absence of conflict. It means we're not fighting against each other. We're not, we're not strategizing of how to take each other out. We're not, we're not violently attacking each other. There's the absence of violence and conflict. But it's also more than that. It means the, present, the absence of something bad, but the presence of something even better. Things are complete. Things are whole. Now, this is what's really interesting, is if you get into the language, into this meaning of these words, it literally means bricks that are all in the right place. Fascinating. It means that when we are at peace, the bricks of our wall, the bricks of our foundation, the bricks of the pavement, the bricks of the bridge, all are interlocked in a right and tight way to where it's dependable. There's not movement. There's not, uh, there's not this, this potential for collapse and failure and destruction, right? So to be at Shalom and Irene, to be in peace, means that every block in our lives is locked together the way God intends. Now, that's the good side. The other side is death. They live, they sit in the shadow of death. In the Old Testament, in the, in the Hebrew, it's hosek. In the, in the Greek, it's thanatos. And these, again, these words mean darkness, death. But it's more than that. It means separation. It means brokenness. And just like how peace means that bricks are interlocked together the way they were intended to, Death, Hosek, 
And thanatos means that those bricks are shattered. They're broken. They're scattered. They're not interlocked. They're, they're, they're hitting against each other instead of locking together the way that God intended them to. They're falling all over. They're, they're, they're like shifting all over the place, and they're falling. Now, if that Greek word for death sounds familiar, thanatos, what do you think? What, what, is, what does thanatos make you think of? <gasps> Some Marvel fans. Thanos is the abbreviated verse, uh, uh, form of Thanatos. Thanatos was the Greek god of death who is hell-bent on bringing separation and chaos and death. He stops at nothing because he's angry, because he's mad, because he wants control. So there you go. There's your pop culture Marvel reference this morning, right? But it, it kind of gives you the, the picture in that movie where he just wants everything to be his way instead of the way that it's supposed to be. So we have this battle of light and dark, life and death. Jesus is the glorious, shining ray of light and life in a world that is swamped in separation and death. That's one of my favorite parts about Christmas is the lights. I am a simple human being. I like shiny things. <laughs> I remember as a kid, you know, back before, you know, we were on our phones and everything like that. Like, I loved my parents would load up our 1978 Chevy Caprice Classic wood side paneled station wagon. We didn't ever have the Christmas tree on top. That would have been awesome. But we would hop into the, uh, the station wagon and nobody put on seat belts. And I was the youngest of five. So I'd sit in the very back facing backwards. And we'd go to York, the big town of like 5,000 people, right? And we would cruise around and we would kind of look at all the Christmas lights. I remember as a little kid just being enamored. I remember like laying for hours in our living room and just staring at our Christmas tree and just watching how the light just, I don't, it was just fascinating. I'm still the same way. Like I love the lights of Christmas. Um, I, it's, it's just fascinating. And I think it's also very fitting that Christmas comes in the shortest days of the year. The, dar- the longest period of darkness is when Christmas comes, because light is the brightest in darkness. Amen? So it's, it's so powerful to think about how Jesus brings light. He brings peace. He brings life in the midst of separation and death. Now, the Bible is full of stories and passages about the peace that comes from God. But we're going we're gonna to look at five specific ways that we find peace in Jesus. Number one, we find peace from Jesus with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus our Lord has done for us. This is salvation. If you want to know God, pray Romans 5.1. It is the most powerful thing because it says, a lot, of, a lot of times, even if we don't believe that there's a God, there's still this angst there. There's still this kind of animosity towards something that we say we don't even believe in, right? Because if there's a God, how can this be that? And it's kind of like we use that against him, but yet we're at conflict with him. And so Roman, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1 that we have been made right because of what Christ did on the cross. It was broken in the garden, right? God created us for perfect relationship for him. There, there was nothing separating us from God. 
And then humanity, Adam and Eve, chose their own way. They wanted sovereignty of self over sovereignty of God. And God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. Good luck with that. And so humanity was broken. Adam and Eve sinned, and so do we, right? We can say, oh, how dare Adam and Eve? Well, they sinned, and guess what? I would have done the same thing because I do the same thing. I choose my own way over God's way. But the cool thing is, is just like sin came in and broke the perfect garden through Adam and Eve, Christ comes together and restores that relationship through what Christ did on the cross. Now, we can try all sorts of things, right? We can either go hardcore legalism and, and religion or, or not even religion. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do so much good in the world that when I get up to, to heaven, they're going to, oh, wow, oh, you're, you're that guy. You're that girl that did all those things. Wow, heaven is lucky to have you, right? Like, we're kind of like, I'm here, you know? And it's like, wow, you did so much. Did you die on a cross? You know, like, no, oh, but I, you know, I... I did this and I did that, right? Like we have this imaginary scale of justice in our minds and our hearts. And I remember talking with people and it's kind of like, well, God knows my heart. He knows I'm a good person. And I said, well, yeah, I think you're a good person. But let's, let's, let's go to maybe where people have to carry water for eight miles because that's the nearest somewhat clean water source that they have. Or, or you know, the fact that if, if we could just spend what we spend on a coffee uh, to get a mosquito net, and maybe they wouldn't have malaria, and, and mom and dad could live instead of dying, you know, and, and maybe we could go and adopt some orphans and, and things like that. Like, like, all of a sudden now, how good do we feel, right? Like, oh, okay, we give a couple bucks here and there, um, and I say hi, and I'm nice to people, but, but really, I mean, is that enough goodness to heal the world? No, it's not, right? Not, not to be a downer, but the thing is, is that the good news is it's not for up to us to make ourselves right with God. He already did it. And so we get to operate from that freedom. We get to accept the gift that I'm never going to make myself worthy enough because he already has. He took our sins to the cross. He died for us. He makes that relationship whole and restored. The other side is just to deny it to deny that anything is ever even wrong, right? But the problem is, is if we can't see it, we can't fix it. We can't have it fixed. And so the only way to find peace with God is to accept and surrender to what only he could do for us. That's really, really good news. For years, I tried to, tried to do it myself. Even as a pastor, I would be like, well, if I can do this, if I can do that, and I realized my, my unspoken, secret, hidden, shadow motive was to still be special, was to still be good enough, that, that realistically, I mean, really, I wanted God to go like, Jace, you're my man, like, you, you and me, like, you're special. Why? Why, right? He does that to all of us. So, peace with God, Romans 5.1. The second thing that Jesus brings us peace in is peace with creation. Now, that might sound kind of weird, but Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, that word made peace um, literally means to restore back to its, in, its intended state. 
It's a state of harmony and completeness. And, and Jesus doesn't want just a few of us reconciled. And he doesn't want us just to be reconciled with a few. He says, through Christ, we have peace with all of heaven and all of earth. That is such a powerful thing. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, it's not us versus them. It's us for them. We exist to bring peace to the world. He wants us to be people of peace, to extend his grace, and to show the power of his transformation. He doesn't call us just to say, oh, you do you, whatever makes you happy, and, and you know, just, just whatever, right? No, there are te- there's teeth to grace. There is power to grace, and it's called transformation. He lo- I saw, I, I saw a, um, a little interview with, with, with Katy Perry, and she was like, well, I'm so triggered going to church because I sang as a kid, come as you are, but now if I come as I am, I wouldn't feel safe. I don't feel like I could come as I am. And I was like, well, you could. But the thing is, is that when we come to God, he says, I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. It's like if our kid comes maimed and bloody and broken and, and like, oh, what do we do? We don't like run the other way. No, we run to them and we hug them. We love them. And then what do we do? We heal them. We fix them. We, we transform, right? If, if our kid comes and is, is disrespectful to us, hopefully we don't run the other way and say, well, you're out. No, we're going to love them, but are we going to say, yeah, keep, keep insulting me. Keep insisting on that you're better than me. And I'm, I, that's one thing. I just want to encourage you. Like, like, I want to warn you first, young parents, you are about as smart as you're ever going to get right now. As your kids get older, you're going to progressively get dumber and dumber and dumber, okay? And, and, but if you're in the teenage years right now with your kids, guess what? You will get smarter someday. Like, your kids are going to come home, and they're going to be like, oh, wait, what do I do for my taxes? Hey, what do you think about this? And mom, is this normal? You know, and, and like, dad, what, what do you think about this, right? Like, like, it will happen. It's okay, right? But yet, that's the thing is that it's... It, Like, God loves us so much that he wants us to experience freedom and life and transformation. We, as as followers of Christ, we can't sell out and say there is no such thing as sin. Or, yeah, your sin doesn't really matter. Sin matters. But God's grace is bigger. God's grace, his love is more powerful. And that's where we can experience the freedom of transformation in the reality of our lives. That is incredible, incredible news. Um, I was laughing um, again on the news the other day because Hollywood is in such a turmoil right now because who has the right to be outraged about what? Because especially with the conflict of the Middle East, you, you have you know, people that are like speaking boldly about one side, well, then you're, you're anti-Islamic. Well, then you, spoke on the, you speak boldly on the other end, well, you're anti-Semitic. What can I be outraged about then? Right? And it's, it's actually quite, quite sadly comical to watch these, these celebrities that are kind of like, well, I didn't really mean that. Yeah, but you said it. You got so swept over here that you're outraged over here, but then you realize, well, I can't be outraged about this because then that's going to offend this and that. And it's sort of like Hollywood is getting caught in the lie that, that they do believe in truth. They're just too afraid to admit it. So we can't fall into that as, as followers of Christ. We need to be able to say, this is right, this is wrong. I'm going to love you 
as you are, but I want to help you experience transformation and freedom because of the love of Christ. That's the most loving thing that I can do. Not being a jerk, not being judgmental, not doing this, not doing that. And I I think the key there is outrage. What are we outraged by? Are we outraged? And as followers of Christ, are we raging against the very people that we're trying to help? Are we pushing them away from the Savior that can save them? Or the other side is saying, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. You're not okay, but you're fine, you know. We are his ambassadors, and he is making his appeal of peace through us. The world needs his peace. The third thing is this, peace with self, peace within ourselves. John chapter 4, verse 27, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and afraid. So that word troubled, tarasso, means agitated, disturbed, stirred up, restless. The bricks of our lives are not fitting together very well, and we are seeing collapses here and there and everywhere. He says, I don't want you to live in that state. I don't want you to be troubled. And then that word afraid means to be timid, to be fearful. I don't know if you've ever noticed about me, but I'm a little bit larger than average size human being, right? I'm, I'm a little taller, a little bit bigger, a little bit thicker. And so what do you think I think about when I sit in a chair? Is this going to hold? <laughs> what do you think I think when I'm walking across the bridge? Will this hold me? When, I, when I'm climbing up a ladder, what's this thing rated for? Surely they're, surely they, they're, like, they're like going way down. I think this ladder will hold me. You know, like, like as, as, a, as a big guy, like I'm constantly thinking, will this hold? And so when you get into something that's kind of rickety and unstable and uncertain, they're like, ah, just constant anxiety and tension. A lot of us live that way in our lives. We have uncertainty. We have anxiety with our relationships, with our finances, with our insecurity, with our children, with our parents, with our friends, with our neighbors, with with our religion, with our whatever it is, right? You fill in whatever blank the Spirit's telling you to fill in right now. But a lot of times we're walking through life living in trouble and fear. And that's not the way Jesus wants us to live. The peace of Jesus is more powerful and solid. It's like sometimes you get so scared and your knees are so shaking and you're kind of like, I don't know, and all of a sudden it's like, just stand up. Oh, I can stand up. This is solid ground. It's like, it's like Jesus and the disciples in the boat. They're like, Jesus, the storm's coming. We're all going to die. And Jesus is kind of like, what? what's going on? He was at peace. He was at peace. And he says, why do you not have faith? Right? The fourth thing is this, we can have peace with other believers. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 19 says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Now he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, the former religious insiders and the religious outsiders. He has made two out of, he has made one out of the two. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh 
the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new community out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens in God's people and also members of his household. The greenhouse is a little C church. It's a little C church. We are an ecclesia. We are a body of believers. We are a community. We are a family of believers. We are a little C church. Pioneer, Redemption, Alpine, SMCC, Centerpoint, other Christian churches, we're all little C churches, but we're all part of the capital C church, the body of Christ that goes around the world and has been there ever since the time of Jesus and before, right? As long as you have a solid biblical understanding of the triune God and we're saved by grace and the word of God is his revelation to us and there's some key doctrinal things that are dogmatic that we need to agree on, as long as we hold to those things, we're all a part of the capital C church. Guess what? That means we're all, we're all family. We're all family. Now family, for some of us, are like, yeah, family, and others are like, I want a new one, right? But this is as God designed, so it's a good family. The problem is, even within the Christian church, can I just be honest? I've experienced the most hurt in my life from the church of Jesus. I have. Probably some of you have as well. Because we're mean, we're selfish. We bring our sin, we bring our, our anger, our expectations, our, our, our criticism, our, our snarkiness, right? We bring that into God's house, into God's family. And, and just like some Thanksgivings are great and others are awful, we're really good at making it awful. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, it's unreal at the pain that we can cause each other within church settings, now, me being a pastor, I have never caused hurt for anybody in my life. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Because I'm human, I'm sinful, I'm broken. I will let you down, I will hurt you, and I'm sorry. But the, the, the key there is, is how do we use conflict within the body of Christ to reveal our need, my need, your need, our need for the grace of Jesus? for the love of Jesus. Too often, we're like, well, that church isn't perfect. I'm going to go find a perfect church. Well, good luck, because I have been a part of a lot of them, and I haven't found a single one, right? Greenhouse is not perfect, far from. But the key is that he says, we're, 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 here's the thing. A lot of times in the problem in the church is we think each block has to fit together that we think it needs to. We have our design of what Jesus' church should look like instead of realizing we're a mosaic. We're a shattered piece that God has woven back together in his perfect plan. And there might be times where we might rub, rub up against each other in a way that hurts. We might hurt each other or we might be hurt by each other. 
But guys, that's why he put us together to reveal our need for the grace of Jesus. You see, if I'm not a peaceful person, I won't extend peace. If I'm having those pieces shifting around in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, guess what? It doesn't just stay there. It will find its way out to the people around us. We will hurt each other. But the good news is, is that that is God's way of revealing our need. So if we ever find ourselves in conflict with each other, when we find ourselves in conflict with each other, can we just please look at each other and just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You love Jesus, I love Jesus. You have his spirit, I have his spirit. Let's listen to his spirit. Let's seek his word. Instead of me launching a campaign against you and trying to attack and tear you down, God doesn't want his children to tear each other down. That has to break his heart when we do that. Let's find peace in and through him. Now here's the thing. Jesus, the Apostle Paul is saying, if Jesus can take Jews and Gentiles and make one church out of the two around Jesus, instead of a law, a code, a style, a preference, a worship style, a baptism method, a communion this, or a facilities this, or a dress that, or whatever it might be, if God can combine these two into one church, I think he can do it with us as well if we allow him. He tore down the bricks that were destroying each other, which, by the way, I just learned a new, I learned a new uh, term last night. Of, have you ever heard of getting bricked? <laughs> so, <laughs> Karen, I won't tell him it's you. Okay. <laughs> but can, I, can I tell this story? Okay. When Karen was, now, granted, she was the girl and her brothers were mean because brothers are mean to sisters, right? And, and, and they wouldn't let her play with him. They wouldn't let her play with them. And they had a box. And so she goes, hey, come here. And he pops his head around the corner. She literally takes a brick and hits him over the head. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so let's not brick each other, right? Let's, let's take the bricks that we use to brick each other and just say, God, how can we fit this together? right? Let's take what we used to use as weapons against each other and to say, God, this is yours. This is your church. How do you want to build the foundation of something unique, special, and true? And last, so he brings peace between us and God, between us and creation, between us and ourselves, between us and other believers. He also brings peace between us and our enemies. Save that one for last. I didn't want anybody to get up and walk out halfway through the <laughs> Proverbs 16, 7. When people's lives please the Lord, when everything is tight and right, when everything is according to God's design, we are at peace with him, we are at peace ourselves, we are at peace with each other. When we are a people of peace and living out peace, even their enemies are at peace with them. That is profound. Because when our lives are at peace with God, within ourselves, with each other, now all of a sudden those conflicts with our enemies, the people that are hurtful to us, all of a sudden now that loses its power. Because a lot of times it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, is we're not living at peace, and so then someone comes in and, and does something that an enemy would do, and we're like, ah, we go all crazy on them, right? 
We're not kind. We're not loving. We're not representing him. We're defending ourselves. We're, we're attacking. But when we are at peace with God in all heaven and earth, even our enemies are going to be like, how can I be mad at you? <laughs> You're, why are you kind right now? Why are you asking me questions? Why, why aren't you fighting back at me? You know, because here's the thing, hurting people hurt people. And a lot of times we're being hurt and all we can focus on is our hurt instead of saying, if they're coming at me like this, why? See, Christ moves us in compassion to say, they are really hurtful to me right now, that they're hurting me because they're hurting. Now all of a sudden we're being motivated by love, by grace, and we're pursuing peace. We can conduct ourselves in ways that diffuses bombs instead of building them, arming them, and setting them off. So the opposite is also true. We can reverse engineer. If I find myself going off on people, if we have a hair trigger, why? Why? If I can't get over my animosity towards my enemies, why not? To extend grace, we have to experience grace. You see, shalom, irene, peace, isn't just the absence of conflict and violence. It is actively working for something better. It's making things whole. We want others to experience the same peace that we have. So here's the big idea. Jesus' glory gives us peace. The glory of God is so powerful that we can find true peace in him. So it's kind of like this. We have this pitcher is full of water, and it's, it's like life, right? Like the water is struggles, trials, conflict, temptation, anger, frustration, hurt, whatever it might be, right? Like, like we have that in our lives. And this orange is us. Now, what do you think is going to happen when I put the orange into the water? Who, who thinks it's going to sink? Who thinks it's going to swim? How many of you are chicken and you're afraid to actually say anything? <laughs> Here's what happens. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Okay, let's do it again. Who, who thinks it's going to sink? Who thinks it's going to swim? All right. Okay, here we go. Ready? Life happens. Ah! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Benny. It goes right to the bottom. Benny's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, it's so much better when we're all participating together, right? The cool thing is, is that the peel acts like our peace, our hope. The peel is our faith. It, 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 it keeps us together. To where, yeah, things might happen, but I'm not going to be sunk by this. I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to be overcome by this. Because I, I, sometimes it's sort of like this poor little, you know, uh, orange is kind of like, I'm barely making it, but I'm still making it. Yes, you know, right? Like I haven't given up hope and I still have some peace because I can still, I can still see daylight here, right? But now what do you think is going to happen when I take the peel off? Y'all are going to feel really dumb if all of a sudden it doesn't sink. 
right? Like, like all of a sudden we start getting into stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, I keep on writing my Bible and it says this, but yet I haven't seen that. And all of a sudden we have this conflict with our spouse or with our kid or with our friend, and it's just, it's just we can't get it out of our mind. And it's kind of like, why do you hurt me so bad? I, if, if God's real, then, then why does this conflict hurt like this, right? Or, or finances, or, or maybe past things that we have thought we dealt with, or, or, you know, all of a sudden now our faith, our hope, our peace is gone, and, and next thing you know, God starts separating us, right? It's kind of like our devotional that we did, um, you know, talking about the power of community, and we start getting separated. What do you think is going to happen when all of a sudden now separated pieces go in? We sink. That is a very, very interesting and powerful example of what happens when we allow our joy, our peace, our hope to be robbed. Guys, it is so important. I was, it was really cool this week, Drew, in one of his classes, he, was, he had to interview a, a New Testament scholar, um, an expert, and so he had nobody else other than me. And... Uh, <laughs> He goes, Jason, you are the last chance. Can you please do this? Nobody else is willing to do this. And I was like, yes, I'm special, remember? So, so but no, one of the questions he had was, was if you were the Apostle Paul's shoes and you wanted to write a letter to the greenhouse, what would you include? And I was like, maybe it's time for me to hand a baton over to the master over here, Right. It was so good, and it really has been sticking with me, and it's kind of like my biggest thing is to, guess what? Be a disciple who loves God, loves people, and serves the world. Love God. Feed that relationship with him. Dig into his word. If our Bibles are dusty and unopened, it's akin to not reading love letters from your so-called loved one right? Like, like, dig into it. It's a good thing. And I'm not saying that to make any of us feel bad if we're not, but it's sort of like, guys, it's the presence of something even better. Like, like dig into this. It's alive and it's active. It's a gift that, that he's gone through great lengths to give us. It's one of the most expensive gifts we will ever receive in our lives, probably second only to Christ himself. And are, and are we turning to that? I, I want to encourage us, if, if we are not connecting with the source of peace and hope, we can't be surprised when we don't have peace and hope. It's, it's pretty simple. And, and it's not that if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I seek the Spirit of God, if I find community, if I do all those things, if I spend time in worship, that it's not like everything is going to be more amazing. But guess what? We're at least going to stay afloat with, with hope and peace. Because life as God intended is at peace. It's together. And it works. Yeah, we're still going to experience struggles and trials. But I'm telling you, if you've ever gone through a struggle on your own versus knowing you have somebody or some people that have your back and are with you every step of the way, it's a totally different experience. It's a totally different experience. So I pray that that can kind of stick with us, that the peace of Jesus is meant for the reality of our lives. So moving from belief to action, knowing to doing. Two questions. One, do an inventory. 
What am I looking for? What am I seeking? What am I turning to in the midst of the absence of peace, right? When I have conflict, what am I turning to? What am I looking for? What am I, what am I trying to achieve or, or, or receive in that conflict, in that absence of peace? And a part of that question is, is am I surrounding myself with people of peace? Am I surrounding myself in community of people that I can be ruthlessly vulnerable with and say, I am struggling with this. And they're going to look at you and say, thanks for sharing. How can we help? Can we pray for you? How can we, you know, they're actually proponents of peace in our lives. Or are we surrounded by people who are like, ooh, tell me more. Oh, yeah, she's the worst. He's awful. You should do this and you should do that. And, and there are people that, 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 that find joy in the brokenness, in the drama, in the conflict. Are they stirring us up or are they constantly bringing us back to the foot of the cross where Jesus earned our peace? Am I filling my heart, my mind, my soul, my eyes, my ears with the peace of Jesus and allowing his spirit to bring peace into my life. The second question is this. What effect am I having on the people around me? Am I pointing people to the peace of Jesus? Am I encouraging, supporting, loving, being truthful and gracious because they're two sides of the same coin? Am I influencing my family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, my, my, my parents, my children, my, my whatever? Am I influencing people to Jesus and to find that peace? Or am I finding it fun to sit in the cesspool of their conflict because it's entertaining for us? It might be entertaining for a time for us, but it, it's pretty costly. And so, so let's, find, let's, let's ask ourselves those questions what are the influences for us, and how am I being an influence to those around us? Let's find that peace. Let's grow that peace. Let's surrender to that peace. As we wait, let's look for peace. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your peace. I thank you that um, in so many of these passages, it just gives us the answer right there, is that our peace comes from what you did for us on the cross. God, what was meant as the ultimate act of darkness, of death, of separation, of humiliation, of conflict, of insult, God, you bore that. You bore that on your back. God, I know in the weakness of our flesh, in the heat of the moment, God, we know we should have peace, but it doesn't seem possible. But God, you are not natural. You are supernatural. And so God, I pray that we would look to you to help us to see, to experience that supernatural peace. God, I pray that for our world. God, I pray for the conflict that's raging, so many different conflicts raging right in this moment people literally killing each other out of anger and hatred. God, I know that it breaks your heart because you've provided a different way. God, help us to trust you, to, to turn to you, to rely on you. God, help us to look at how we can be people of peace. 
in our lives, at our school, at our job, in our homes, with our friends. God, help us to to receive that gift and to share that gift. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.